0: You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to the Hitching Arts Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at TheRealMarkLane. Follow Sean on Twitter at SeanMartinNFL. And subscribe to us on the N-Yardage podcast, on Vlogging the Boys Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Uh, gobble,
2: gobble, Sean. Yeah, gobble, gobble, indeed. I'm so proud of our entire BTB staff, of all the Thanksgiving puns that we came up with. I mean, my postgame article was titled uh, Cowboys Gobble Up Commanders in Second Half, Deron Bland Makes NFL History. But I took a couple screenshots, just all of them together. I mean, it was great seeing everybody run with, Thanksgiving uh, puns for a Hawaii that's always better when the Cowboys win. And not only did they win, but they did so. And convincing Basson again to continue this incredible streak they have at home. And I got to ask you this right off the top. I mean, you are a resident historian and all these things and interested to see the direction you'll go with this. But where in the pantheon of, you know, wild and fun and exciting things that you've seen in all your years watching NFL football does – Dak Prescott on the field of play, not you know on the sideline or whatever after he had been taken out of the game. Where does Dak Prescott on the field of play after throwing a touchdown, running off the field of a turkey like in his hand rank for you? I mean, we're days after the game at this point. We're sitting here on a Sunday. Our listeners are coming to you on a Monday, but so we're five days removed, and I still think about that a lot. I mean, it, to me, it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. I mean, there's that slight level of disrespect, but it also wasn't disrespectful, and it came out of the Salvation Army kettle, and that's all good, and you know, Dolly Parton at halftime, and all of these things that are traditional. But I still think about that a lot. I mean, one of the most absurd things I've ever seen when your quarterback is playing so good at home, he can run off the field to play, you know, in the lines of battle, if you will, with a turkey leg in his hand.
1: Yeah, I think it just goes to uh, just what I've said, which is that Jerry Jones has figured out a way to basically have the Cowboys play in a Super Bowl, which is what they did on Thursday, Beat you know, their biggest rivals, so to speak. And uh, all the talk is about, you know, the Cowboys coming out of this. Yeah, the viewership
2: was, was of course, incredible. And, you know, the way people play in their entire holiday around this game for the Cowboys is kind of humbling as a fan. You know, it's so fun to have this be part of, you know, a a holiday that, so sure, you could do it without football, but what's the point? I mean, that even for other fans, they associate it with this. But as Cowboys fans, we get to link our team to a holiday. We also get to link, you know, memories that you make with family and friends and young ones and what have you. So it is kind of their own Super Bowl. And I want to think that that's part of what Joey was, you know, alluding to and thinking of. when after the game, he said that of all the days he's been involved with the Cowboys, including the Super Bowl wins, he put this win up there with, you know, how much he enjoyed it and maybe the Tokyo like thing was part of that too, but that was certainly interesting to hear Jerry say that. But, hey, why not? It was a hell of a Thanksgiving for everybody all around and including this Cowboys offense uh, getting humming again.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying is, and, you know, there has never been a more Cowboys game played than what was played on Thanksgiving. And that's why it says that. It was just the halftime show was all cowboys. Like the Cowboys, I don't know how to put it, but they won
2: Jamboree. They won uh Pep the Pep Rally. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not gonna not put on a show. I didn't really watch the halftime of the Detroit game. I know it was Jack Harlow, but there was a lot of pictures that circled around of, you know, the comparisons of the stages that they had and Jack's just like this tiny relatively tiny thing in midfield that didn't take up that much space. And then Dolly had, you know, the whole field and the cheerleaders out there and she was in the cheerleader costume and pyrotechnics. And, you know, the show goes on for the Cowboys. But again, we're talking about substance of what happened between the lines. Can you back up that show with performance that keeps you in the sights of where we want this season to go? And of course they absolutely did that to the point where they could take Prescott out of the game again, to the point where the defense got to do its thing and, after Sam Howell, who, you know, played well enough in the first half to give the illusion this game was close, but like you've been saying all year, we know what this defense does well and they showed it. We we're learning more and more by the week what this offense does well and they showed it. And that complimentary style that we've preached for the last couple of weeks, you know, was on full display again.
1: Yeah, and what where did you see the complimentary style showing up at you know, it it's um most, uh, it's mo. It's most,
2: um, you know where it showed up the most. I think creating opportunities for the pass rush was the biggest thing that turned the floodgates at this game. One of the my first note in my post game recap B T B was about how one of the defining things in this game was how both offenses on both sides played against man coverage, and you know early on, like I said, how Played well. We know who Sam Howell is, you know, no disrespect to him. We know you know, he could keep teams in games and manage and win if the circumstances are right and if the protection holds up, which it certainly hasn't for pretty much the entire season for him, unfortunately. But yeah, the turning point was how both offenses played against man coverage. Early on, Howell was able to hit some of those crossing routes, get the ball out of his hands, get it in space to Brian Robertson at the backfield, who was a good player uh, at doing that. So they were kind of picking on man coverage a bit. They even made some plays against Bland who, you know, made it back with his NFL record breaking pick six later on. But yeah, they were picking on your man coverage a bit, mitigating that pass rush. But as soon as the Cowboys took advantage of the commanders man coverage and hit on some of those deep shots to rack up points, that put the pressure on Washington to have to play more aggressive in their own right. And that's when the Cowboys man coverage was able to be aided by the pass rush. I thought these tackles stepped up again unlike in the Pampers game where Carolina kind of spread you out and dictated that the matchups are going to be on the edge, where you can win with Parsons and the likes there. They play more tight. So the matchups were on the inside to win here. And the pass did so with De DeJuzula getting home by also stopping a fourth down play after Gilmore broke up a pass. Jonathan Hakins got home and the edge had their say as well. So, you know, I think it's the offense putting up enough points to allow this pass rush to pin their ears back was a turning point type of thing that, uh, shows you how complimentary this team can be.
1: Yeah, and it's those elements that you have to have in order to, you know, really convince people that in December and in January, you know, you you can take it to the next level. And I think that that's where Dallas historically has not really convinced folks is with their trench play in, you know, the wintry parts of the schedule.
2: Yeah, that was something I kind of wanted to bring up off the top or, you know, how to frame this. But well, I think we're at the point with this Cowboys team where I know this came up last year at times or it was even earlier on last year where it was like, oh, this team has all the pieces. We need to talk about them as the Super Bowl or And then the Prescott injury changed some things. But there was still that window Early on, it was like, this team is going to have all the pieces. You know, it's time we're more critical of them than usual, which, I mean, laugh out loud because it's Dallas media and, you know, we're all critical, whatever. But it's time to talk about this team in that light of, you know, just good isn't good enough. We need to talk about them as contenders. And what comes with that is also the point of, if you truly do feel that way about your team, and like I said, we're getting there with this Cowboys team, please, as a fan, you know, this isn't just me begging you, but you're going to hear this in other shows across the network and other medias. Please make the journey as special as, you know, not just hanging your hat on what that final destination might be. We have no idea how any playoff game or any game is going to go. Enjoy the journey. And I think we're at that point with this Cowboys team. Where we, you know, we don't know if they're true contenders or not. We don't know how to get a fair against these tougher teams coming up on the schedule, which we'll get to, but it's really time to appreciate just the surface level of what this Mike McCarthy offense is doing first and foremost. I mean, we need to fully grasp that and understand the path that he has. Dak Prescott on playing as an MVP favorite. We need to grasp, you know, the continuity that this defense has for so many years now under Dan Quinn, how they play as a unit and together and the talent that's been assembled on that side of the ball. It's not time to, you know, get completely over our skis with all these things, meaning that the Cowboys have to go win it this year, but, Yeah, it's definitely time to pause and just appreciate just how well this team is taking apart other teams week in and week out. That just doesn't happen at the NFL level, and they're doing it and, you know, slowly but surely trying to earn their respect by doing so.
1: Well, it's that they do it consistently, because you know, uh, and it's really uh, started with Dan Quinn, just how they dismantle opposing teams, and you know, it's just where does this go and does it finally happen and then you're in the NFL final four as opposed to
2: always on the outside? It's nice to be able to put behind the you know, any Mike McCarthy hot seat talk. I mean, talk about a coach who had to battle, you know, some demon early on as far as just proving day in and day out that he was the right guy for the job and he could build something sustainable here. I don't think there's any Cowboys fans that want this offense and what he's dialing up alongside Find Schottenheimer and Dak to go anywhere anytime soon.
1: Yeah, and that's just what, you know, will still kind of be in the uh, conversation is, uh, you know, just where's this going? Uh, What will it look like when Dallas is, you know, approaching the playoffs? Is it going to be, with confidence, or you know, something else?
2: Well, absolutely, you have to think that you know, this team has all the confidence in the world that they can prepare and you know, game plan. Yeah, when a game comes down to one or two plays, it can go any way. But I'll take the McCarthy, Quinn, and John Fossil game plan against anybody right now. I mean, that those three give you a chance in any game you play. I don't, there's not one we did this last week already, but there's not one team that fears me to the point of. I wouldn't expect Dallas to always be competitive and within a couple of plays. The 49ers might be not asterisk team, but, you know, let's just see how Brock Purdy and company finish out the season in comparison to how Dallas continues to play. So that might be the one just because of, of course, how 42 to 10 and other recent games between them have happened. And we're going to get our shot at Philly here in a couple of weeks after they rallied for another incredible win against Buffalo there. So other than that, yeah, you take these coordinators, this game plan and, you know the, the wins that you already have under your belt to hang your head on for this Cowboys team, and it's really them versus anybody to have as good of a chance right now.
1: Yeah, and uh, for the 49ers, that's if they're healthy. We've seen what happens when they're not healthy, they're not relevant.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and the Cowboys have more of that you know, next-man-up mentality. Of course, those players are irreplaceable, and you know we don't want to talk about losing them, and we don't even have to go through it. I think the listeners know who we're referring to, you know, the quarterback's an obvious one for any team, so we'll start there, but, yeah, the health is uh, standing out. I mean, how about, just for a second, let's uh, give a shout-out to Tyron Smith. I mean, how about the fact that he's turned back the clock and it's been weeks on end without having to talk about any availability issues for him, so not only is that great to see, but over on the other side, Terrence Steele's kind of bounced back from a rough game in Philadelphia, and they've been able to call plays where all of – Tyrant Smith and Steele and Zach Martin and Tyler Smith and be honest, get out there and do what they do best, which is get go get people on the on the move in the run game. So they've been able to call that balance on the ground to go with this passing game. This is such a coset thing, but you know, we're talking about December football. Next time a game comes around. We always hear it this time of year, the run game's gonna be important, these pass happy teams, you know, are gonna start fading, all these things. I think it gets overhyped. But I still think it's relevant enough. If it comes up every year, certainly there's relevance to it. And the Cowboys are trying their best to define uh, that run game. And what better way to do it than trusting your offensive lineman up front to go do what they do best, call plays that play to their strengths, and get out and to the second level, make contact, get some big hits going. And that certainly fired up this offense just as much as the long passing plays have fired up, you know, Prescott and CD Lamb, Brady Cooks, and the likes of that. Yeah, and
1: that leads me to ask you do you like this? The run game that could, you know, kind of like this little engine that could, this run game that could model that McCarthy's assembled. You know, it's just kind of been like, I don't know what the run game's going to look like in September, but I bet I can get it figured <laughs> out by December
2: when we'll need it. I absolutely love it for a lot of reasons. You know, McCarthy said at some point, I think it was leading up to this game, might have been afterwards, but recently talked about how he's so confident in all these pass catchers in the pass game. That you know, he doesn't even necessarily have to think about who's in the game when he calls a certain play. Whoever's out there is going to be able to execute whatever play is called. And of course, you know, the change in recent weeks has been a higher volume to see the so As long as he's out there, you can see where that confidence comes from. But in this game, you, you even saw you know Jalen Brooks continue to get run, and you saw Jalen Torbert and Jake Ferguson make that ridiculous play down the seam. So he said that about the pass game, and I see a run game that's getting to that point too. I mean, there was. You you're seeing Rico Dowdle make the types of plays that last year we were accustomed to only having Tony Pollard available to make, scoring the game's first touchdown on a screen, swing-type pass out in space. And that's a patented Tony Pollard play, but you ran it for Dowdle, he executed, and it goes into the end zone. And then Pollard's touchdown up the middle, well, that's something that Dowdle might be more suited to. But for the second week in a row, when Pollard, you know, really gets going for a physical type of run, that seems to be what ignites his team. More than anything, the Cowboys did not allow a single more point in this game after Pollard's big touchdown run up the middle against the Commanders on Thanksgiving and against the Panthers. It was also what opened up the floodgates and responded to the Panthers' first touchdown before the defense added the score, and we know how that went. So, yeah, this run game is really starting to find it. You can tell there's an importance to it, not just for the linemen that I mentioned to feel like they're you know, engaged in the game and being able to hit and do what they do best, but – just throughout the whole team, you can tell there's an emphasis on how important it is. And when it gets going, yeah, it really starts to fire them up. It gives them balance. It gives them the play-action game that looks so similar to those types of run plays. And Dowdle and Pollard are becoming more and more interchangeable by the game, which is an awesome way to present different looks to the defense. Pollard's 13 carries for 79 yards and a touchdown. The to Dowdle's three for 11 was the highest uh, volume of carries for Pollard in any game as far as the split with him and Dowdle since twenty three carries to to Dowdle's four against the Cardinals, a game where you can ask yourself how many of those powered carries were just trying to protect Prescott, who was playing behind three backup offensive linemen. So interesting game there, and of course it was a loss that we don't want to go back and harp on and talk about, but yeah, to see power take a high volume of carries while Dowdle was still effective enough to score a touchdown, this run game is a a whole new element to talk about that that pairs well with a very flashy pass game, of course.
1: Yeah, and that's why you need the run game. Isn't so much for the elements or the weather, but it's to just kind of control the clock and the tempo.
2: Absolutely, yeah. The way that power, you know, continues to improve and his ability to kind of put the head down, get the shoulder pads down, and and run for tough yards—that's improving week by week with two touchdowns to so forth going up the middle. So, yeah, I don't think this run game is done by any stretch. You know, we. Didn't think that about the pass game, but we had questions about, you know, what's their ceiling and now they're breaking ceilings and scoreboards every week, so no reason to think that the run game can't follow a similar trajectory and like you said by December when you need it, which is when we'll be talking about the next Thursday game against the Seahawks. We'll just see how that looks. You know, that to preview the Seahawks a bit, that's an offense that you know, Geno Smith, they they're gonna push the ball downfield, they have a chance to sustain drives as well. They can they'll take those short passes and try to run it too. so They could definitely try to play the type of possessing game that Carolina tried to play against you and failed because you got up on them. Boston tried to play against you in the first half and it failed because you got up on them. Seattle's going to kind of come in here the same way. We'll have as good of a chance as any of those teams to play that way, but the Cowboys can mitigate it with their own run game. So we'll keep an eye on that.
1: Yeah. And that Seattle game. Uh What's interesting about that is, you know, just Geno Smith. You're facing Geno Smith. But they should have had them face Drew Locke uh against the uh forty niners.
2: Yeah, Geno obviously not having the you know type of resurgence season that he had last year where he really, you know, took the reins of Seattle being comfortable that he could be, you know, something in the future there with Pete Carroll, but not completing as high of a percentage of his passes, but you know, they got great run after the catch receivers and guys like Metcalf. So you could have to watch for these types of pick plays and things that Washington were able to hit a couple of on, um, of, of those on against you, and as well as you know, the moving pocket type of foes. So, you know, Gino, Gino's capable of stealing any game. Look, is he going to be the first team the quarterback to come into Dallas and win and you know what is it up to now? 13 wins in a row at home or something all this year? Is he going to be the first one to give the Cowboys a close game at home this year? I don't see that necessarily, but it, it could happen. So uh, you know. Thursday, anything can happen as well and I'm just kind of hoping that uh, you know the Thursday night crew at Amazon finally gets a good game they uh, they've been struggling to have a good game production wise as far as you know the broadcast and and all that so hopefully it is a good one but also one that the Cowboys so you know an extension of all the things they've been working on in recent weeks from their own offense to really put that game pressure on Gino in a way that he hasn't seen this year with wins against you know the Cardinals and you think about the, that division who's been going up against the Cardinals and who are a mess at this point in their year and Brock Purdy, who we just lost to and, and then, you know, Rams team that certainly hasn't been as good as expected this year as well. So a lot to look forward to for Thursday, a weird time of the year, right? You, you know, it's always like, when do you go Christmas shopping and, you know, Thanksgiving and you, know, you take a vacation time at work and it's a weird time of the year where in our day-to-day lives, we don't know what quite day it is. And here we are recapping a Thursday game. We to be recapping another Thursday game. So, uh, yeah, just we'll get you through. We'll get you through this difficult time in the calendar, but uh, we'll do so after the Cowboys' battle, the Seahawks on Thursday.
1: Yeah, um, I love how poor Al Michaels has had junk games. I know, yeah, it's the well, one that looked like it was going to turn out great. You know, the
2: quarterbacks get knocked out. He did get the ninety-nine yard pick six at the end of the half, and he reached all the way back and into the. You know. The time vault and pulled out the, uh, you know, do you, not quite the deep wave of miracles, but do you believe this as he ran it into the end zone of Javon Holland for the Dolphins? So that was always still a little bit amusing and interesting, but also, you know, pathetic by the end, of, uh, from the Jets' perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Jets. It's always something with them.
2: And the Giants, too. Oh, you mentioned how bad it is for the Seals in the NFL, that this is the state of the Giants. I mean, how about taking out a step further? Giants Patriots would have been a prime time game or at least a four o'clock game of the week for years, you know just a couple of years ago and now it was a battle today it was a battle of draft picks, basically. Oh, I know, yeah. And it was a two time Super Bowl matchup of course.
1: Tommy DeVito versus Yeah, it's just it it's like I said, I cannot believe that it's fallen so quickly for them. But uh that's the way it is. Uh, So, Sean, uh, our show comes out on Mondays. So today's Cyber Monday. In spirit of Cyber Monday, here's some waiver wire pickups you think the Cowboys should look
2: at. Yeah, well, the first obvious one, I think we have to take this opportunity to, you know, we'll continue to monitor the news and talk about uh, what's going to happen with Delius. You know, certainly a surprise cut when you see a big name like that. And, you know, the first question you ask is, well, if he is a big name, there's usually something big-time wrong with the situation in terms of, you know, why did this current team give up on him? So that's what we're trying to evaluate with the Colts. But nobody should have more faith in any, almost any team's you know, evaluation process than the Cowboys when it comes to scouting a player like this and getting all the medical information that may be surrounding one who's been banged up from time to time. The, mo- the most pressing and immediate thing is, you know, do you need help at linebacker? Yeah, when Marquise Bell and Damone Clark are on their game They've been such a great story these last couple of weeks of how well they're playing and Bell got hurt against the commanders, but came back in. So, you know, do you need to disrupt that? Well, I think never too late when you are trying to contend this late in the year to add, you know, a mercenary type of player a veteran linebacker that yeah, he's not going to make every flashy tackle and pick the ball off and strip sacks and all these things anymore per se. But I, I just know that's the type of player that could be in the right spot at the right time for a couple of plays a game. To make the difference. You know, those run fits where Jaron Kirsten a step behind, Darius Leonard could be there and, and get the ball carrier on the ground in that type of situation. The, the plays where you want to blitz, like a Parsons up the middle, you want to give him the defense, the offense, I mean, a different look by also having, you know, Leonard lined up over there, or you want Parsons on the edge, and you put Leonard where Parsons would be in that same situation. I know that Dan Quinn could find a use for him if he can find a starting quality linebacker out of a converted UDFA safety like is Bell, if everything checks out, you give one Leonard to Dan Quinn and say, you know, here's your Christmas toy, go play. And so that's what certainly a lot of fans are going to be hoping for, but there's a lot of boxes still to be checked in terms of, you know, if the medicals and the financials all work out. So we'll stay tuned to that one. It's not quite like your Cyber Monday Amazon cart where you have to check out in, you know, an hour or two to, uh, to get the deal. The Cowboys will be patient here and make sure this is, what they want to do, but Mike McCarthy always confirmed that there is interest on the Cowboys end, and so that due diligence is being done, uh, and Darius Randall would be a welcome addition, I think, in the uh, in the silver and blue.
3: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience.
0: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Let me ask you this. So we've got games coming up that uh, won't help the narrative, you know, in terms of getting Dallas their big win. But uh, which games do you think could help with that narrative?
2: I think it's a Detroit game. You know, there's no team that's playing. I don't know if that's looking too far into the future of what you're looking to pose for this question. But, you know, of course, that game is going to be noteworthy for Jimmy Johnson going into the Cowboys' Ring of Honor. So that will happen on December 30th from AT&T Stadium. So obviously looking forward to that. But, you know, as far as what's happening in that game, you know, Detroit, are they for real? Are they frauds? Are they too pass happy? All that's coming into the question, especially after they lost to Green Bay. Uh, at home on Thanksgiving, but well, this is still a tough nosed team and they're a team that you could see in the playoffs. So I think it's that Detroit game where you're gonna be playing at home against you know, Jared Goff had a drop back forty four times on Thanksgiving, thirty five the week before, which has been about a standard average this time. One way you can look at that is oh, you're asking for disaster and that's gonna be way too many drop backs against the Dancoin defense and you know, good things could happen with Duran Bland and Stephon Gilmore being able to pick off the passes and what have you. But oh, that's also a recipe for if the Lions can keep Goff upright, you know, they can really have to way with controlling the ball with these short passes and um, unleashing, you know, Aiden Hutchinson and this defense against Dak Prescott's offense, or it could be really the makings of how I see it a, you know, super high scoring back and forth game. So that would be the first time we ask ourselves, you know, oh, the Cowboys scored 40 at home, but they didn't win. 40 to 10, they you know, they won 40 to 35. So that will open up kind of a new potential type of game script where, okay, what's the path to beating the Cowboys? If you're looking at this as an NFC contender, do you have to, you know, stand on your head defensively and try to limit them, which is becoming harder and harder by the week, or do you have to try to score with them? And a lot of teams recently have been trying to score with them, but that's a huge ask of rookie quarterback Bryce Young or Sam Howell, or even Geno Smith looking ahead just in the short term. Might even be too much to ask of, you know, Josh Allen, the way that the Bills lack balance and are turning the ball over in their own right on offense. So, Jared Goff, in the right circumstance, can can make this happen. Or it could be a landmark game for Dan Quinn. A lot of ways to look at how the Cowboys and Lions match up, but it's still a meeting of NFC contenders, just based on how the current seating sits right now. So, I think it's that game. I think it's the Miami game. But they're battling the same narrative as far as, you know, they are the AFC um, Cowboys when it comes to looking great against Dosser competition and having big question marks against a good team. So that's a very much a, a Spider-Man point meme. Somebody has to win it type of game from, as far as a national perspective on how that one looks right
1: now. Yeah, because if Dallas beats Miami, you know, then – but they haven't beaten the Eagles or the Bills. That's what I think, you know, then that became – that. then that
2: game becomes, oh, well – Big deal. And the Miami game could be an extension of, like I said, this new you know game plan to potentially beat the Cowboys. Who are the teams that can score with them? Because of how high our confidence level is in the offense right now to put up you know close to the forty-five they did on Thanksgiving. Who are the teams that can score with them, as opposed to defenses that we should be expecting to hold down the Cowboys? Since that's proven so difficult these past couple of weeks. Who can score with the Cowboys? And of course, Mike McDaniel and Tua and Tyree kill go up near the top of the list. So yeah, I like what you're saying there in terms of. You know, that could be high scoring, just like I see Cowboys-Lions at 18th East Stadium being a potential high scoring affair.
1: All right, let's go ahead and get to uh, the Cowboys' birthdays for this week. On Monday, Larry Allen, I need to say no more, turns 52 on Monday, so that's today. On Thursday, Larry Brown uh, turns 54. Uh, and for that, Sean Martin can tell us all about it.
2: Yeah, MVP of the January 28th, 1996 Super Bowl, which is, of course, uh, the day I was born and the day that, you know, whether I knew or not yet or not, of course, which I didn't. <laughs> I became a Cowboys fan when I was in Dallas for the first ever time in 2018 for the draft, uh, walking through the, you know, the hallways to to get to the press area. They had, you know of course, some great pictures of Cowboys history and past and current players. And one of them was Larry Allen, and I couldn't uh, pass up, you know, take you a picture next to that to that framed uh, print of, oh yeah, so that was a cool personal moment, but yeah, I, my laptop background used to be the fixer of him, intercepting that pass to clinch the game, and his MVP of the second pick of the game, so it's always a fun little trivia thing, because you know, when I ask people who the MVP of that game was, if they know or not, or why would you, they're so used to now, the quarterback's always winning it, so they guess Aikman or Emmitt or any of these things, but nope, I'll always know it as Larry Brown, cornerback who are had a big run of this team, as I was being a member of multiple championship teams.
1: And then on Friday, Darius Jackson turns 31. And remember, he was uh, the.
2: He's 31. God, that makes me feel. Yeah, but he was uh, the best uh, backup running back to Ezekiel Elliott ever. Oh, I know. I was going to say, he came in at that perfect time of the craze of like. I'm, I'm proud. Let me just say to Cowboys fans, of course, listening, I am proud of us as for maturing as a fan base when it comes to, you know, pumping the brakes on these running backs. But back in the good old days when Darius Jackson came in, it was not the case. I mean, we that was like the peak mania years of just any running back on the roster was the next thing, the next coming of Emmett Smith, even if they were going to be a backup to Elliott, who we know was going to get, you know, the lion's share of the carries. So that was peak craze. And we wanted to see Jackson do everything, including special teams, the kick returns, which he did a bit of. But, yeah, there was a ton of hype for him, you know, fortunately for him. Not live up to it, but yeah, I will fondly remember the memories of the hype that he built uh, going into his first training camp and all that with the team.
1: All right, and then let's get to our triangles of triumph.
2: Oh man, put me on the spot. I don't know why I forgot that uh, we do this after a win. I guess because you know the game was Thursday and, and a bit of a delay. Uh, Triangle of triumph, I'm gonna go with I, I don't think I've given Dak Prescott one of these yet, which you know, deserving at some point. So let's, let's get that one out of the way, of course. Dak Prescott. In prime time, he's got the John Madden patch on one side of the jersey, which every player, of course, did. But he's got the Walter Payton man of the year on the other. He's got the turkey legs waiting for him when he gets to come off the field in another fourth quarter blowout. He got to announce this week that uh, he's, he's an expecting fodder, which is, of course, super exciting news in terms of you know the type of person mentally that we know he is and physically and the way that uh, that will be a life-changing event for him. So... A lot of happiness and, and good vibes surrounding the Prescott family right now. And a dominant performance as ever on Thanksgiving was nothing short of what we expected. But he still finds it a way to exceed those expectations and dazzle and uh, be able to get a turkey leg on the way out. So first leg of the triangle, Dak Prescott, defensive side of the ball. Let's go with, well, of course, De'Ron Bland. I'm going so close here. I hope your triangle was better than mine. De'Ron Bland, NFL history, the Cleats and some of the equipment from that or going to the Hall of Fame for him intercepting that pass. It was an all-time uh, Jim Nance call as well. You know, me and you like to give shout-outs to broadcasting-type things from our experience doing games when, it, when it's uh, relevant as well. So all-time moment from Jim Nance, Tony Romo right there as Bland. You know, he caught it, and then there was a moment where we all thought he was going to get tackled probably around the 20-yard line, and then way he's still upright and Commanders players are running into each other and Bland for the fifth time this year is in the end zone. So incredible what he's done. And he's almost made us forget about the fact that the secondary uh, doesn't have Trayvon Diggs right now, but that's been incredible. And a shout out as well to Al Harris, who you know was coaching up these cornerbacks and he was right there in the scrum of the celebration on the sideline. Dan Quinn is losing it in the box. And so too is Al Harris on the sideline who deserves to lose his mind because he's got these corners playing out of their mind. And bland was the, uh, the ceiling moment there. My third one, I usually like to go uh, you know, kind of off the hat and off of off of the game, but I think I'm going to stick to the game in this case and go back to the defensive side of the ball and give one to Oso Deguizua. I've been on these tackles for a couple of weeks and he made that big fourth down stop that helped really start to put this game away and his pass rush was there as well. So he's been great all year, but I don't know if he's still quite gotten the full credit he deserves um, as he continues to kind of sell more and more each week and get more comfortable winding up next to Mozzie Smith is certainly helping because Mozzie Smith could almost be a member of my triangle as well, but for now we'll continue to kind of watch for Mozzie to improve and end up in the triangle in a future week, but to complete the triangle, it's going to be Osa for getting an F it on the interior pass for us and what that's meant for the defense, and he joins Dak Prescott and Duran Bland.
1: Alright, so for me, Luke Schoonmaker had a 12-yard catch, so that automatically qualifies him. Uh, then um on defense, Jonathan Ankins, he had two sacks. I like it when the big defensive tackles are able to get disruptive like that. And then my third is oh, yeah. to uh the Pac twelve conference, which uh
2: Oh played its last, I of
1: uh football game, Cal and you know, in the regular season. Cal and uh UCLA uh over this past Saturday, Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, yeah, no, well, Pac-12 after dark.
2: It's so sad. I mean, this is nothing like – I'm I'm not going to go on a whole rant about conference realignment, not the time or place. But, yeah, all these rivalries that we're losing are sad, but perhaps none more so than just the Pac-12 because of the absurdity of it and the late nights and the way that you could always count on them to, uh, you know, beat a nightcap in a full day of football. No matter what time you started watching on Saturday, if you're going to be up late, there was more games on thanks to that conference. and. I, I at one point was a pretty big Oregon fan, so I was of course into the Pac-12 or you know rivalries and the civil war against Oregon State, and they're going out on a bang. Oregon-Washington in the conference final is a is a de facto college football playoff play-in game, so the winner is going to be in the playoffs, which is epic to see. So super looking forward to that on Friday night. Looking forward to Texas playing in their final Big 12 championship game on Saturday night. As I mentioned last week, I'm going to be moving out of Texas, so. You know, as far as things I want to see before I go, I wouldn't mind uh, getting to see uh, the final potential Big 12 championship for the Texas Longhorns down here. So they'll be playing from ATT Stadium on Saturday. So what a time of year it is for a lot of reasons. Like we said, holidays and family, all that is quite good. Hope everybody's doing well out there in that regard, but also for football. So we'll be talking Cowboys, but not only that, uh, but college football as well. So, yeah, big weekend ahead. But. Yeah, you're making me sad of the uh, the Pac-12 vibes. It'll, it'll dearly be missed by so many people.
1: Indeed. And if the Lord see it fit, you and I will be talking about another Cowboys
2: game that happened that on a Thursday. Yeah, maybe we'll talk on Thursday. Maybe we'll talk Friday. Maybe Saturday. Maybe Sunday. Maybe get really crazy and do it Monday morning. Uh, either way, I'm looking forward to be back and with you as always, partner. Glad you uh, had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, again, shout out to all of our BTBers for all the Thanksgiving puns. Let's uh, keep the puns rolling, I guess, when we go into Christmas time. Uh, that's all I can ask as far as uh, coming up with more puns, because they were all they were all top knots covering this Thanksgiving win, 45 to 10 against the Commanders.
1: All right, so there it is.
0: You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work